As we walk through life and we go on this adventure of holiness that we're called to, there are times when we need to stop and have a meal. And today we're going to go to the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 14 where we see two very different feasts juxtaposed from one another. There is the Feast of Death and the Feast of Life, and each embody their relative way. The way of death is found in King Herod Antipater's birthday party, and the Feast of Life is found when Jesus there next to the shore feeds the masses with just a few small fragments of food. So in Matthew chapter 14, we see the vivid conflict between the way of life and the way of death, and it's displayed in this comparison between these two events. These two social gatherings where people are immersed in one of these ways of existing. And as we go along the adventure of holiness, we ourselves, we do stop occasion to have a break. We stop to have gatherings with other people. We like to have good times in life. But the question is, how are we going to go about having good times? Are we going to do that, manifesting the way of death around us? Or are we going to do that, manifesting the way of life? The way of death, as we find in Herod's birthday party, is a place where elites of society come to be entertained by John the Baptist's head being displayed on a patter. It's gruesome, it's gory, and it's a place where the beautiful things of fine art are contaminated by the vile stench of death and the gore of blood. And then that is compared to and vastly contrasted by the way of life where Jesus next to the shore, in a deserted place where the masses are hungry, where most people, their instinct is to send people away and send them home, but Jesus takes something small and transforms it into something beautiful. And he does so revealing power that can only belong to God himself. So welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. It is a program produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene, and I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. So thank you for joining us today. I'm not alone here in our studio. There's one other with me in Cord Purgatory. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And everyone pray for Anthony. He's been a little under the weather lately, so I'm going to read our scripture today, though Anthony is free to chime in whenever he feels that firm conviction of the Spirit. But without any hesitation, let's go to our text. We're going to be reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 14. And as we read these two stories, and we're going to read them back to back, I want you to see the comparison between the two. Again, I don't think anything in in our Gospels happens out of an accident or random occurrence. They do come together in such a way that reveal the saving power of Christ Jesus. They're teaching us something in the structure of the Gospel themselves. And these two stories, they are not put up against one another by accident. And we'll find that even with the language that connects the two. So let's begin now in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 4. Now at that time, Herod, the ruler heard reports about Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. For Herod had arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been telling him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Though Herod wanted him put to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company, and she pleased Herod so much that he promised her on oath to grant her whatever she might ask. And prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. The king was grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he commanded it to be given. And he sent and had Jed John beheaded in the prison. The head was then brought 
on a platter and given to the girl, who brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took the body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. He went ashore, and he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour has come where it is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. Give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and two fishes, and he looked up to heaven, and blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to all the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over from the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand, besides women and children. As we come to these two very different accounts, we find a vastly different way of existing if you're on the way of death as opposed to if you're on the way of life. And we're going to break down these two scenes and we're going to talk about what it means to go throughout life and how we structure our lives, how we have social gatherings, how we embody the way of death and how we embody the way of life. So let's get to this. Evil, as we saw with Herod, and this is not Herod the Great, it's Herod Antipater. And he is the son of Herod the Great. And that's something very important. We'll get to that in a moment. Herod Antipater is somebody who is kind of vile. He's kind of wicked in a lot of his things. He's a shrewd leader. And evil takes pleasure in mocking the righteous. John the Baptist was speaking against a sinful relationship between Herod and Herodias. They did not want to hear it. It was not enough for them to send him away or even to keep him detained in prison. You can almost imagine the sort of bumper sticker that would be on Herod and Herodias's car if they lived in the 21st century. They're out there proclaiming what they're doing is wonderful. It's surrounded by their compassion, but yet it is sinful. It is sinful to, to have lust for your brother's wife, and it is sinful for Herodias, this woman who is with her brother-in-law, to use her daughter in the way that she uses her daughter in this situation. There's a lot of sin in this. It's actually wrong. Not all relationships are holy and righteous. This is a very, very sinful relationship where people are exploiting one another and they're doing it and they're doing it in such a way that is public and they're mocking the righteous and doing it. When John comes and he speaks against this, he is actually speaking against something which is truly sinful. It's truly wrong. It's very, very bad. But it's not enough for them to send him away or even to keep him detained in prison. John's death must be carried out as a party favor, a trifle piece of entertainment for the wicked. And it is tragic that John's life is ended in what is essentially a party trick. It's nothing phenomenal. It's just crude. It's not even something which there's creativity or skill involved in this entertainment. It's just his head being stuck on a platter. It's like a lot of modern art. It doesn't actually take that much taste, thought, or skill to pull off. You can slap it together in a few seconds and tell people it's art and they must appreciate it. And it's also disposable. It's, it's something which is horrendous and is ugly. Whenever we, we find this, it is a place of ugliness and it is nasty. It is lazy form of entertainment and it does come at a great cost. 
And recently I've been looking at the world and I've developed this habit where I've looked at the world the way that I look at books, the way I look at film, the way I look at various forms of art. I love Jules Verne novels. I love things like uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. It has a lot of theology in that movie that's pretty good. I love the Jimmy Stewart movies. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. I think that's probably the best film that's ever been produced by, by mankind. And whenever we, we look at art, <clears throat> you can really take a few seconds and examine the symbolism in it. And a, a good movie, a good book sets the stage well. And what we find in our scripture in Matthew chapter 14 is two scenes that are filled with absolute symbolism. You, you could not imagine two better ways to compare the way of death to the way of life as is exemplified in these two scenes. And if we position ourselves where we can really take a step beside these scenes and look in on them, we can find out what's really going on. So stepping into this text where we find the birthday party, we again, we're coming to a birthday party. Symbolically, this is a day when we celebrate another year of life on this earth. It's a very special occasion because somewhere deep within the caverns of the human spirit, we know that life is much harder to maintain than it is to destroy. Anybody can go out and destroy and take life, but to give life is something which humanity really isn't capable of initiating. We can really only do it on the small scale of reproducing when a man and woman comes together, and that's about the only way that we can give life, and we can only do that in a small scale and generation. It is God who has the power to judge the living and the dead, and it is God who has the power to give that initial spark of life, to come and resurrect the dead, to come and walk with people along life. Life is a gift, and life is fragile, and that is the reason for Herod's party. It is to celebrate the occasion of life that these people have, have gathered together. This is why they're celebrating. And Herod Antipater, the man whose life is being celebrated, he is a man whose very life is a miracle. As I said earlier, he is the son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was a very vicious man. He killed three of his sons. Three of his own sons. Why? Because he thought they might take his throne away from him prematurely. In fact, he killed one son, or possibly all three, about eight days before his own death. So he had gangrene. He was, he was sick. His body was rotting for years. He was a very sickly man, even though he, he lived for a while. Even on his deathbed, knowing he was about to die, he would kill his own sons because he thought they might take power from him. He sent one son away into exile and his mother just because he didn't like them. Herod's a very shrewd man. So Herod Antipater, who's the son of Herod the Great, he's very lucky both to be alive and to be a successor to his father. Herod the Great did not like to have people succeed him, though eventually he had three sons and one daughter who had his whole reign broken up and each one of those got to have some rule. So those were the four lucky ones, but Herod Antipater is very lucky to be in his position. And to be a guest at this party is something which is also a rare thing. It is an honorable status, and you personally must have honorable status to be there, for it's a fine and rare thing to be invited to a royal party. When comes dressed in fine clothes, they are surrounded by fine art. They are surrounded by things which take a lot of skill and articulation to put together. And yet the way of death comes to contaminate this. It is in this setting, which is surrounded by beautiful things, beautiful fixtures made by the finest craftsmen, this wonderfully pleasing setting to view, that sin comes in to dirty it, dirties it all with its grotesque tastes. Birthday parties have long been places of giving gifts. It's been a place where people, they want to have entertainment. They want to have a good time together. And the death of John the Baptist is a gift at a birthday party. I want you all to think about that. I know it's like gory, and this is... Not the most nice subject to talk about, but it's the truth of it. 
The way of death, it gives death as a gift at birthday parties. The way of death, it comes to spring a decapitated head with all of its gore, its blood, the vile odor and stench of death that brings that into a room surrounded by fine architecture. It's horrifying. It, it's a thing where you've got something nice and beautiful and it's ruined by, by utter filth. And this is what sin does to people. It causes people to, to reduce themselves down to this. And that is the scene in the state of the party. It's a crude death carried out for entertainment purposes in a moment that is deliberately set aside to celebrate the preciousness of life. The decapitated head, with all of its grotesque truth, it gets paraded around on this platter to show that it is just entertainment for the guests. It's not creative, it's not special, it's just nasty. In the death of John the Baptist, it is tragic, but it's not unique. Sinful hearts have been carrying out death long before John and continued long after. However, this is not how God designed us to live, and this is not how God's justice is served. Even in the midst of such a moment, there is always hope in the kingdom of God, and John, in dying, he, his death did not stop the, the advancing of the gospel. He is ultimately vindicated when Jesus goes to the cross and shows that Jesus truly is Lord and not Herod Interpreter. Immediately after this, we find Jesus preparing to feed 5,000. Well, really more than 5,000 when you include the women and children. He's doing this with just a few loaves. What Jesus is about to do is definitionally creative, where what Herod was doing is also definitionally uncreative. So let's go into this second feast, the Feast of Life. We just got done looking at, at Herod, and I want us to now transition to what's going on with Jesus. Now, I know it's been a few moments since we read that scripture, but you've got to go back and remember everything that happens. Verse 13 in Matthew chapter 14, it opens up saying, Now, when Jesus heard this, again, these two stories, they're not unconnected. They're not separated. They are connected. And we see one party, and it's going to now be juxtaposed by another gathering, another event where Jesus is host rather than Herod. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat and went to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard this, and anybody can be a member of the crowd, uh, that's just how it is. You can go be a member of a mob and do terrible things, or you can be a member of a crowd that comes to meet Jesus and be blessed by him. Anybody is welcome here. You don't have to have a royal invite. And they're going not to a royal palace, but to a deserted place, a place that is without the luxuries and the commodities of civilization. Jesus, he goes there, and he's obviously going there in response to what has happened to John, but the people, they come for him. And Jesus has compassion for them, and he cures their sick. These are things which are creative. Again, the definition of create is to, to make things, to, to take small things of nothing or even no things of nothing and to make them into something else. God does not need a palace to meet his people. Moreover, God does not need to lower himself to indulge any sinful requests that the world might make. That's what Herod did. He, in order to kind of maintain his oaths with people, he's got to lower himself to whatever request they make. God doesn't need to do that. If you come to God and say, Lord, I've got this sin that I really love. Please just make it not be sin for a little while so I can indulge in it. God doesn't have to do that. He's not going to. But instead, God does something that is definitely more creative. He creates. For those that are gathered with Jesus at the shore, they are going to behold the creative power of God, something that can only belong to God. What we find here is Jesus, he comes with the way of life. For those when the world wants to send them home, Jesus comes and has them sit down. 
Now, conventionally, whenever you see artwork depicting the scene, it's something which is usually portrayed sort of during the day and there's a lot of light in it. You see Jesus walking around. But what we get from the text is that this deserted place, it is now a late hour. It's probably well into the evening and it's time to send the crowds away that they can go and buy food. But yet, Jesus says, no, don't send them away. Don't do what your instinct is telling you to do because I, as the host of this event, I am going to have compassion for these people. I'm going to show you what it's really like to throw a feast. I'm going to show you all what it's really like to have a party that celebrates life. It doesn't look like carrying around a head on a platter surrounded by fine and beautiful things where your blood and guts and gore ruin it, but it's a place that is normally deserted. Again, anybody can find themselves in a deserted place, and typically our thoughts are if we're in a deserted place, you know, you're on a desert aisle, you know, it's, it's not a good place to be, you want to get back to civilization really quickly. Jesus says, no, I can meet you here. I can come here with you, and I can take what few materials are lying around here. Maybe it's a few loaves, maybe it's a couple of fish, maybe it's something else that is in someone else's life at another time, but I can take the small fragments of material around here. And working with what other people are so limited by, they can't do anything with, I am going to create in the midst of this moment. I'm going to give life here. Anybody can come and take away life. Anybody can come and send people away. Anybody can come and bring death and destruction and make something ugly and horrendous. But when Christ, God the Son, comes, he is going to make something beautiful in the middle of a deserted place. This is the way of the kingdom. It meets people who are seeking God in secluded places of life where they feel cut off, where they feel alone. And it creates for them something beautiful in spite of the fact that others would send them away, that others cannot create. In this scene, we find Christ willing to show the power of God in giving. We take a step back and we look at Jesus here. It is so radically different than what Herod demonstrated. Jesus is able to do something that does take true skill, true power. And these are skills and powers which only belong to God himself. Jesus is willing to give something that people can walk away with. And while Jesus does fill everyone's stomach who comes, the true blessing of Christ is far beyond the food. It is far beyond even the healing of the sick that happens there. It is the transformation that is found in the way of life that transforms all of life. Jesus is serving as a gracious host in this remote place. And in spite of it being deserted, it's actually filled with the masses. And this is historically how life is. The purpose of the kingdom of God is not to avoid conflict and suffering, and the purpose of life is not to avoid conflict and suffering. Again, Christ is willing to come to these places where we are deserted, where we are suffering. Christ is willing to come to those places where there's nothing beautiful around and make something beautiful there. We come to this and we find God the Son. He is such a gracious and charitable host. His charity is able to make something that no man can. And thus we see life being manifested in this scene. This is the way of life. We sit back and we compare these two, and we realize that there's a stark difference in how the two value life. The world has always had an issue with valuing the gift of life, but God did not desire his creatures to be left to die in insignificant deaths. Again, John's death in the birthday of Herod, it is something which is petty. It's just done as a party trick. It's, you know, somebody pulling a flower out of a sleeve or something like that. Throughout Matthew's gospel, we have been reminded that not even a sparrow will fall without God knowing. And how much more God cares for us, that we are worth far more than sparrows. Life is precious in the kingdom of God, and Christ came to restore life where others can only bring death. 
For Herod and Herodias, John's life is worth nothing more than a cheap, one-trick pony, one-time event. Yet even though it is cheap and disposable, they would rather indulge in that than invest in the finer things in life. They'd rather invest in that than the fine you know, statues and things that you think of in a royal palace. But this is what sin does to the soul. This is what the way of death comes to us. It comes to us in a way that it takes possession of us. It causes us to be more fascinated with the cheap and momentary things, to, to want to have little items to hold in our hands, to do things which are disposable, to have the newest phone, to, to treat people in such a way where we're not creating lasting relationships with them, but we just deal with them on the superficial level. It, it's something which comes to us and it says, why don't we just do things which have a huge cost down the road, like taking a life. You know, John's life is over at this moment but it gave us a few moments of entertainment at this party. This is what sin does. It allows us to give in to the desire for instant gratification over the lasting fulfillment that comes from life. It comes from the true life that is found in God, not the death which comes from sin. The way of life, it is rare and precious. It requires the creative power of God to navigate. God values himself as a precious gift. Again, no one can enter and walk and navigate the way of life without the power of God. Just like none of us can go and take just a few loaves and fish and make together a full feast for the masses. No one's capable of doing that unless they have the power of God. It is the power of God that does this. And when God looks at his creatures, he doesn't see someone to decapitate as a cute party favor. But what he does is he sees the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, all of who are princes and princesses, meant to be on this earth with dominion as kings and queens who would rule over and maintain God's divine order. And to God, every life is precious and it should be cherished. God does not value us based on what group we come from or how many people in power look like us. God does not care about our worldly credentials or anything of that nature. But he looks at his children and he looks and he wants them to obey him and live by his commandments. He wants them to be blessed and live life fulfilled. Because in God's kingdom, life is precious, and the state of the heart is very valuable. It's not any superficial or material status that is appealing to God, but God looks to the depths of the soul, and he sees his precious creatures created in his image, and he wants them to return to him and live with the grace of his presence. And as we contemplate these two scenes, let us turn our hearts to Christ and follow him on the way of life. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's where we draw to the end of our message. And again, as we contemplate Jesus feeding the 5,000 and we contemplate these birthday parties and these horrible scenes which happen therein, I really want us to look at the way of death, the way of life. As we go on the adventure of holiness, we're going to make stops. Which party do we want to stop at? Anthony, do you have any final thoughts before we leave? Do you think it's interesting that these two are juxtaposed? Have you ever read those two back to back? Uh <clears throat> Well, I hope I have read them back to back, but uh, I guess I, I never say, noticed. Have you read them as contrasting images of one another? No, I have not. Um, and I think uh, there's all sorts of juxtapositions there. I mean, you know, Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, which is alluding to a kingship. Uh, and, you know, obviously this is King Herod. So it's <laughs> like, you know, there's lots of things that are being juxtaposed here. Um, and it's pretty interesting to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, CastBox, wherever you do your podcasting. Make sure you're part of a local Christian fellowship. 
Um, Church of the Nazarene is a good place to be. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.